This is Quantum Mechanics and the Quantum Lagrangian, Part 1. So I've been meaning to do this episode for a really, really long time. Because if you're not tracking this, then it's really tough to kind of get the rest of the sonic gravity theory of everything. I mean, you can, but it's kind of tough. But at the same time, I want my listeners to all enjoy the podcast, no matter what. Whether you're totally into physics or you're not into physics. I mean, because not everybody has spent like the last year trying to teach themselves quantum physics like I have. I mean, who does that? It's Except for me. It's fucking weird. But it turns out it's a lot easier to teach anybody quantum physics than it is to teach colonels and generals how to tell the difference between a disease for gay people and a Russian bioweapon that's aerosol that started in all NATO countries at the same time, one incubation period after the United States and the rest of NATO gave Russia the finger and kept sending military aid to Ukraine, and that is a fact. But I can kind of see where they're too dumb to see it, because they're so used to invading and fighting countries that can't fight back, like sending arms and advisors and all that bullshit. You're safe. You're safe when you do that, when you pick a fight with somebody who can't fight back. But Russia's different. We just picked a fight with the most powerful psychopath on the planet, and that too is a fact. I mean, Really, General, did you think we were just gonna ass fuck Putin and totally destroy his military and completely embarrass him on the world stage? And he was just gonna sit there like a bitch? No, you woke the madman, and that is a fact. Because the only way we're gonna get out of this without 10 million people dying is if the FBI sends a task force to every one of those people who got infected, and then they do some serious CSI shit, mapping all of their moves for the last month, finding out where the orgy was and who was at it, and finding out who was the guy at the orgy that nobody knew so they can find the guy who handed out the infected dildos and the infected towels that everybody used to clean off with when we were done. Well, when they were done. You know what I mean. Shut up. Then they could go back to the club and get the tape and see what the guy looked like. And not nurses making phone calls for contact tracing. We need FBI interrogators to get the truth out of whoever the victims are. Whether they got manipulated by spies or there was a spy infiltrator at the orgy. Because those initial carriers of monkeypox, they're either active assets, unwitting assets, or just useful idiots to the Russians. Because monkeypox is a bioweapon and that is a fact. And if anybody is in a position to do anything to help help stop it and they don't, then they exist somewhere between a Russian active asset, a Russian unwitting asset, or they're just fucking useful idiots. And that too is a fact. And I'll bet my reputation as a psychopath on it. While the FBI is doing that, the CIA can be sorting out where this came from in the world, where it's being manufactured, how it's being transported, and all the rest of that CIA shit. And then the military can take its thumb out of its ass and deliver monkeypox or smallpox vaccinations to every fucking person in this country. That is the only way we're going to stop this. And don't give the fucking vaccine to gay people who might already have it. And I see a bunch of headlines like, UK to give vaccine to gay people to stop the spread. And I think that's gotta be fucking Russian misinformation because only a fucking potato head is gonna inject somebody with a vaccine who could be infected. Because then all you're doing is teaching the virus when it mutates and passes to the next person how to beat the fucking vaccine. So let's not be fucking stupid. And just so you know, there's a Congo strain of monkeypox that hasn't hit us yet. And if we fuck up with the vaccine and teach monkeypox how to beat that vaccine, when those KGB agents start rubbing down those dildos with the Congo strain, we're gonna be fucked. Bigly. 
And that too is a fact. And I know I kind of just took a complete detour from the subject of this episode, which is the quantum Lagrangian and quantum mechanics. But I've been going to some different universities and talking to some physicists, and some of them are just astounded. And one guy said he's going to start listening to my podcast. So that's cool. One professor threw me out of his office and another professor talked to me for like an hour about dark matter and black hole genesis. And one thing that I discovered was kind of a lot like trying to tell colonels and generals about homeland defense is if you're talking to somebody who thinks they know it all, you're going to have a hard time getting your message across. And I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. Everybody's going to behave in accordance with the physics of leadership. But my hope is, is that it'll educate and then people will make good choices. And with any luck, what they have in their own self-interest, what they think is important, is going to be something that leads them to arrive at the right conclusion, hopefully. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, back to the quantum Lagrangian. So I've been meaning to do this episode for a really long time, but I got folks who aren't that keen on physics, but just kind of like the material, or just like viewing the universe through the eyes of a madman. But quantum mechanics can be a little bit dense and a little bit complicated unless you totally understand it and can communicate it. And so that's where I've been the last couple of months, trying to totally own it so I can so I can communicate and make sense and be right. So I think I'm finally at the level where I can communicate it and people will hear it and doesn't even matter like what sort of physics level they're on, they'll just go, man, that's fucking cool. Oh man, that was cool. And if I do it right and I've really mastered my craft, then when I get done with this episode on quantum mechanics and the quantum Lagrangian, and if I do it right, then everyone who hears this will have just as much fun listening to it as I did making it. And that is a fact. Maybe. Probably. I hope so. And I don't want the episode to suck for people who don't feel like learning quantum physics. And so I was trying to come up with a way to describe it and essentially teach quantum physics. And so I really needed to work on my delivery because I don't want to totally bore my audience. But then on the other hand, this is like really cool. And I think it's a huge kind of breakthrough. And it's like all totally part of how UFOs fly around, zip around without any mass. So I really needed to marinate on this. I really had to figure out how to deliver it in a way that you don't have to be totally up on physics and everything to totally enjoy it and get something out of it. But then you got people who know or think they know about quantum physics. And if you say something that goes against what they've been taught or what they think, then a lot of times just shut down say fuck it or they'll get to the same place because they actually don't understand it and can't admit it to themselves or they'll just think well that sounds like word salad so obviously you don't know what you're talking about or oh that's wrong because that's not what somebody said or that's not what's in my textbook you know or that's not like written in a punctuated academic paper with like some sites and shit so I don't believe it and so so I really had to take it back and really examine my understanding of quantum mechanics so that I could teach it in a way it was cool and also lay the foundation such that if someone who thinks they know or is sort of buying into sort of the mainstream view of stuff I've got to deliver it in such a way that it makes sense to them even though they haven't heard it yet and it might kind of go against their understanding and also this episode is pretty much saying sonic gravity just solved a physics problem that's been around for 200 years and so people just eye roll if they don't understand it and they'll just think well you don't know that that's BS because you can't explain it very good. And so this is really a super duper important episode when it comes to articulating the sonic gravity theory of everything. So I had to get it right. I had to focus. I had to marinate on it, own it. So let's get started. 
So quantum mechanics really kind of goes back to the old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, in quantum mechanics, the answer is no, because nothing happens unless an observer is there to what they call collapse the wave function. You need to make an observation. An observation must transact in order to determine the state of the energy. And that is a fact. Probably, maybe. I'm pretty sure. Now, some people might not agree. Some people are deterministic. I think that's what they call themselves. And they think, oh, something can happen outside the observer's knowledge. Of course, they'll never be able to prove it, obviously, because how the fuck do they know unless they look, right? Just saying. So we're talking about collapsing the wave function, but let's get real. Let's talk about what really matters. Because in my house, if the kids have a disagreement and they can't decide among themselves what to do, there's no fussing. The way we handle it, is rock, paper, scissors, winner take all. And that is a fact. But rock, paper, scissors, you might not know it. And actually, some physicists they talked to didn't realize it either. But rock, paper, scissors is quantum mechanics in its purest form. And that is a fact. Now, within what we call the wave function are the probabilities of every possible outcome. And in rock, paper, scissors, at the initial state of the energies, it's winner take all. It's do or die, mano a mano. You win or you lose. And that is a fact. So at the initial state of the energies, it's 50-50. Either you win or they win. Now, then you take your fist and you slap it on your hand three times and you go rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Now in the moment that you shoot and in your mind, you observe yourself form a rock, paper, or scissors in your hand. That is an observation. You are the observer. You have just collapsed part of the wave function and changed the quantum state of the universe. And that too is a fact. So you isolated and solved a variable in the wave equation. You went rock. And in that moment, you changed the quantum state of the system. So now what's the probability in this new quantum state that you're going to win? Is it 50-50? No, it's not 50-50. Your chances of winning just dropped to 33.33333333%. You have a one in third chance of winning now. Because you went rock, you only win if they go scissors. You lose if they go paper, and you tie if they go rock. And then the quantum state goes back to the initial 50-50. By virtue of the fact that you just made an observation, you changed the whole equation, and that is a fact. And then in the second observation, when you see what your opponent shot with, that's when the last variable in the equation is resolved and the wave function collapses to the final state of the energies. You went rock, you found out what they did, and you either won, you lost, or you reset back to the initial energies and you shoot again. And then you make your next first observation, and that is quantum mechanics. And that's a fact. And so in quantum mechanics, the Dirac equation and all these, you know, and you see all these big like math equations and math problems with integrals all over the place and d dx and you know, these derivative slopes and integrals and stuff well what that is is modeling oscillations in quantum fields right and so you can sort of think of the universe right the hologram 
The holographic surface of the black hole is like a sheet, like a bed sheet. Only it's not Egyptian cotton. It's like something a billion trillion times finer than Egyptian cotton. And essentially every thread running through that is a string that is in a quantum field. It's a string representing a little piece of that quantum field. There's a bunch of quantum fields all kind of laid over each other. And you can sort of think of where all those quantum fields might intersect, like that's an atom. And so when you see those big long wave equations, what you're seeing is how those strings interact. Because if you pluck one string inside that super duper fine Egyptian cotton, it's gonna twang and shake other strings too, right? And so those equations are just modeling what happens in those other fields and strings when you excite a different string, because it's all gonna kind of shake, right? And if you shake one, then all the rest of them are gonna shake too. And that's just the math about how everything shakes. And one of the ways that we've modeled quantum mechanics is through what we call Feynman path integrals, which is just kind of an, it's just like another smart, big wordy way to say how exciting, you know, one string makes everything else jiggle. That's really all it is, sort of, probably, I'm pretty sure. And so you can see it's kind of primitive because what you're doing is you're looking at sort of one slice of cheese, one instant in time, and how when you pluck one of those strings or change the energies or what have you, you're trying to predict down the road in time what the state of the energies is gonna be if you do this or that and how it's gonna jiggle all the rest of the energies and okay, boom, over here on the end, five minutes later, this is what we think is gonna happen. And so the wave equation is the probabilities of all the way think those things are going to happen the same way that your quantum states when you're doing rock, paper, scissors captures the probability that you're going to win at whatever point, whatever quantum state you're in in the game. And they do it like that because that's the only way they know how to do it, which is a lot like Newtonian mechanics when you're looking at trying to figure out projectile motion and you're just going by like angles and forces on a free body diagram, you know, which is like vectors shooting out everywhere. And you can figure out projectile motion that way. There's a much easier way to do it. And you do it with energy. You do it with energy and time. And if you know what the total energy in the system is, then all you need is the time and its relation to space, which is like a velocity, right? Miles per hour is a relationship between distance and time. So velocity, if you have velocity from the energies, you can figure everything out. And we do that with mechanics called the Hamiltonian and the Lagrangian. And the Hamiltonian really just goes by the law of conservation of mass energy. What that means is, is that when you have an object that's moving in space, like a projectile, there's kinetic energy and then there's potential energy. And potential energy is the height that the thing is above the ground times the mass. That's all it is. Height times mass. And the kinetic energy is one half the mass times the velocity squared. That's the kinetic energy. And so the Hamiltonian says that there's a total energy and it equals kinetic plus potential energy. So if you know the total energy and you know the height of the object, then you automatically can calculate the velocity, the kinetic energy. And so it's by knowing what the total energy is and knowing that kinetic plus potential equals the total energy, that Hamiltonian. So you only need one, you can totally isolate the other. It's super easy. And if you wanna know the path that that object is gonna take, that's when you use what they call the Lagrangian. 
And the Lagrangian is the kinetic energy minus the potential energy. And so what you do is over the whole path that that object went, you would sum up all of the Lagrangians across that time. And the sum of all them Lagrangians, that's what we call the action. And out of every possible path that that thing could take, that that object could take as it flies through the air, it's always going to take the path of least action. And that's mostly true. They actually call it like the stationary action principle because there's some like technical things where even though it might not technically be the least action, but it's pretty much anyway, it's just like the path of least resistance sort of. And, and that's a much easier way to compute the path to arrive at the solutions to things like projectile motion and moving bodies and things like that. And that is a fact. But see, for projectile motion, the only way you can do that is if you know the energy. If you know the kinetic energy, if you know the formula for kinetic energy, and you know the formula for potential energy, that's what it takes to sort out projectile motion using energy. And that is a fact. But the reason physicists can't do the same thing at the quantum level is because they don't know the quantum Lagrangian. They can't add up all the energies because they don't know the sum of the energy. And the reason they don't know the sum of the energy is they don't have the God equation because they haven't figured out what dark matter is. So they don't know the total energy of the state, of the quantum state. And if you don't know the total energy of the quantum state, then you can never get the Hamiltonian because you won't be able to add the kinetic and the potential energy to get the total. Because you don't know the relationship between the kinetic and the potential energy, so you can't do the Lagrangian, so you can't figure it out the easy way. And that's why they have to do all these weird equations it's just the same as doing Newtonian mechanics where you got vectors and forces and drag and all this crazy stuff. That's why you need all these Dirac equations and all that stuff because they're trying to aim the solution through the modeling of what's pushing on what and all this other kind of stuff instead of just cutting right to the chase and doing it easy with the Lagrangian and energy. So it's kind of like when I was a kid and you know, my dad would say, all right, Brad, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is we just do what we're supposed to do. The hard way is we get a spanking, then we do what we're supposed to do. So when I was a kid, pretty early on, I just decided it was going to be the easy way for me. And physics is really the same. Classical physics is the same. You can do it the easy way or the hard way. The hard way is Newtonian mechanics and forces and vectors and angles and all that math. Or you can do it the easy way with the Hamiltonian, the Lagrangian, just using energy. And it's super duper easy. Well, at the quantum level, that's where we're at. We're stuck with the hard way, which is write equations that talk about how everything jiggles when something moves. And that's the same as angles and vectors and forces and friction and free body diagrams. That's all that is. That is the hard way to do quantum mechanics. The easy way is using the quantum Lagrangian. And I'm gonna give you an example right now just to totally illustrate that and at home. And this is going to smell a little bit like rock, paper, scissors, because like we said before, rock, paper, scissors is what? Quantum mechanics in its purest form. And that is a fact. So there's this brain teaser called the Monty Hall problem. And it kind of goes back to an old game show in like the 70s called Let's Make a Deal. And the name of the game show host was Monty Hall. And so they call this the Monty Hall problem. And so you're on this game show and Monty Hall says, hey, there's three doors. Behind one of them doors is a prize. And all you got to do is pick the door with the prize behind it and open it up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to pick the door that you think the prize is in. And then he's going to open one of the doors that isn't. He's going to 
open one of the doors that doesn't have the prize in it. And you can keep the door that you selected or you can select the other door, right? Because you got one that you're fitting to open. And then he's going to open one of the doors that it isn't in, which leaves the one door that you picked and another closed door, which may or may not have the prize in it. So what do you do? Do you stay with the one that you had? There's only two doors now that are closed. There's one door that's open that doesn't have the prize in it. So there's two doors, the prize is behind one of them. At the outset, you picked a door. Then Monty opens up one of the doors where the prize isn't. So now the only choice is between the door you had originally identified and one other closed door. Should you stay with the door that you picked or should you switch to the other door? Because now you're down to one prize and two doors. It's 50-50, right? So what do you do? You want to switch or do you keep it? Or do you think it doesn't matter? Do you think it changes your odds to switch? Or do you think maybe it just doesn't even matter? Well, it turns out that if you said you switch, you're twice as likely to get the prize if you switch. And that is a fact. Every time doesn't matter. You always switch. And here's why. And we're going to calculate this the same way that we use the Dirac equation at the quantum level, or we use cumbersome Newtonian mechanics and all kinds of vectors and drag and math and free body diagrams and all that crap. So here's how we figured out the hard way. Here's how we analyze it the hard way. So the prize is either behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. And this is going to play out with the same probabilities, whether it's door number one, door number two, or door number three, that the prize is behind. So let's just cut to the chase and just, and just analyze it as if the prize is behind door number one. If the prize is behind door number one, what's your probability of picking it out of the three doors? One third, right? 33.33333% chance of getting it right, right? Three options, you pick one, it's a one third chance. Now, the way this goes down is this. If the prize is behind door number one and you pick door number one, then money is going to open either door number two or door number three. But if you pick door number one, and since we know the prize is in door number one, if you switch, you lose. He's going to open either door number two or door number three. It doesn't matter. If you switch, you lose. And like we said before, there's a one-third chance of that happening, and that is a fact. So one time in three, you get it wrong. If it's really behind door number one and you pick door number one and then you switch, you lose. But that's the only time you lose. If the prize is in door number one, but you pick door number two, then Monty has to open door number three. And this time, if you switch, your choice is originally door number two and you switch to door number one, you get it right. And that's a fact. In the last scenario, the prize is in door number one and you picked door number three. Well, that means Monty has to open door number two. And if you switch off of door number three to door number one, you get it right again. And that is a fact. And so we just did every single scenario as it could play out if the initial prize is located inside door number one. And if you do it for if the prize is in door number two, the, the math and probabilities all come out the same way, same with door number three. And that is a fact. And so going through every single door and possible computation, and if I open this one or pick that one, and then this is there, and so that means I get it or I don't. If we go through every single scenario and how the door we open meshes with the prize and where it is and all that shit, okay, congratulations, that's the fucking Dirac equation, okay? 
you're mapping out every single possible scenario and grinding through all of them to see what the fucking answer is. That's the hard way. You know what the easy way is? You know what the easy way with the quantum Lagrangian is? The easy way with the quantum Lagrangian is to know the Hamiltonian, to know that the probability of getting it right and the probability of getting it wrong adds up to 100%, right? So when there's three doors and the prize is behind one of them and you pick one door, what's your percent chance of getting it? 33.33333, right? So one third chance. And if you know the Hamiltonian is 100% equals the chance of getting it plus the chance of not getting it. And you know that if you pick one out of three, your chance of getting it is one third. What must your probability be if when he opens the door, you pick the other one? If it's one third to guess it by the one you picked, then it has to be two thirds if you switch. Because that's all there is. Because it only adds up to 100%. So if you're at 33%, no matter how it shakes out, you pick one out of three, it's 33%. The only other option is to switch the door. So you either stay with your door and you win 33% of the time, or you switch and you win the rest, which is 66%, which is why you're twice as likely to always get the prize if you always switch, and that is a fact. And we didn't have to go through any of that bullshit about doors and which one and where it is and which one Monty opens. And that's the difference between quantum mechanics using the Dirac equation and Feynman path integrals are using the quantum Lagrangian. And that too is a fact. And this has been about a half an hour and I know if I start in with equations and the actual computations for the quantum Lagrangian, I know I'm gonna lose people. So I'll do a part two and the next one that I do, the next one I publish, I'll actually go through the equations for the quantum Lagrangian and the God equation. And we'll talk about how the mass potential, which is kind of like potential energy, but the potential energy of mass is actually dark matter. And we'll talk about all that later, but but I just wanted to do this episode because it kind of lays the foundation for the quantum Lagrangian and what all that means. Because if you don't understand the Lagrangian and how it relies on energy versus Feynman path integrals, which is the hard way, and Newtonian mechanics, which is the hard way where we're trying to grind through how everything jiggles when something moves instead of just adding up the energies and subtracting it off and then we know where everything is. So listen to this one a couple of times and you'll have the foundation. And then in the next one, we'll go in and we'll take a harder look at the math and the mechanics and what's going on. And after orbiting in sonic gravity and seeing the universe, the eyes of a madman, now you know. Now you know that rock, paper, scissors is quantum mechanics in its purest form. So if anybody says, hey, do you know anything about quantum physics? You can say, I've been doing that shit since kindergarten. And that is a fact. Fact.